Hello, everyone who's joining today to our second episode of talking about security with a focus on AI or AI-driven security or the name we will end up picking for this. Uh, Ivan, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? It's fun. Good, good. Exciting to learn more on how to do security things with AI. So today we'll be talking about how can we use AI to carry out attacks. Yeah, great. it's a great topic. I'm always uh, excited to talk about these things. And as you are preferring the defensive side, I guess the next uh, following up episode would make sense to be the one that's uh, how to counter these attacks with AI, but that's not the plan for today. Yeah, uh, indeed. Although I think the defense side has, uh, it's probably less surprising or less interesting to talk about because uh, in a sense, AI has been used in defense. Uh, I mean, not massively, but it's it's been out there. We In the last episode, we talked about uh, you know, managing spam or malware classification and so on. So these are all uses that uh, I think most people are already aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure yet what uh, what's new uh, in this field, what's, co- what's coming for us, but I think the offense side is probably the one that is going to see the most uh, changes in the, in the near future. So it's a, kind of a good thing that we're going to be talking about that. A quick guide for anybody who wants to get into the field and become an attacker using AI. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Although I suspect that all of this is going to be very exploratory and probably quite unreliable, at least for a few years. Uh, So uh, I do not expect that. And yeah, I don't think that those techniques are going to be uh, state of the art uh, for uh, at least some time until they are both reliable and uh, stealthy, which at the moment I would expect that AI is is doing neither of. Which doesn't mean it cannot help. Uh, I do believe that, you know, if you are working for an intelligent service somewhere, an APT group or whatever, uh, you know, using AI is probably going to cause more harm to your operations than uh, the other way around. But maybe I'm wrong about this as well. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Maybe you know, information will turn up in the future. But I think it's still a bit early for this. So maybe things are already happening in stealth, and we just don't know because it's actually really good. Yeah. It's, I mean, uh, I suppose so. It's always a good thing to wonder about, right? In the field of cryptography, uh, we know for a fact now that back then in the 80s and the 90s, the NSA had breakthroughs uh, that the academic circles were only privy to maybe years or maybe decades later, right? So they knew about differential attacks and those kinds of, uh, uh, well, attacks on ciphers. Maybe... You know, maybe they also have some advance uh, in the field of AI and they're already using it and we are all only catching up. Maybe there's something that will turn out uh, in, uh, in a few years and we will learn about this. Uh, although, you know, I, I know for a fact that cryptography has always been a very sensitive subject and a subject of interest to the military. Like even during World War II, they were already working on this. So it would stand to reason that they had kept working on the cryptography at the highest levels for, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they never stopped basically since, um, I guess, at least since World War II or probably way before that. Yeah. When it comes to AI, I'm not sure when they started working on this, uh, if they did. 1956 oh. is officially the year where it kicked off in the modern era. Okay. There was a summer of AI in Cambridge, I want to say, when a group of researchers uh, gathered around and started focusing on this seriously. Oh, super interesting. But, you know, it, this was a kickstart, I suppose, for the academic world, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think we have any record of the government or the military 
getting into the field and starting to do research on, on that. So it's DARPA was the first ones to sponsor everything. Mm, yeah, uh, I suppose they are always you know, in the in the good. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, they they know where to where to put them. Hand with them, progress. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah, DARPA, uh, I suppose, is financing projects. Uh, but it's still unclear what the military is doing and if they are investing as much effort in the field of AI as they have been in the field of cryptography. Maybe they are. Yeah. Uh, I hope that I hope they aren't, uh, because you know the idea mm-hmm. of drones uh, flying autonomously around countries and maybe you know, sending hellfire missiles on, on people without a human supervision is kind of scary to me. But who knows? Right. So hopefully in a, in a few years, uh, we'll know more about this as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about some attack vectors that are classical, let's say, or modern, I don't know, are, are standard in, in security. And then how would we go about the AI uh, twist of it? So how would you use AI to carry out the different attacks? And the first one would be, how would you use AI for social engineering attacks. And maybe you can start by telling a bit about social engineering. Yeah, of course. So the principle behind social engineering is super simple. It's uh, uh, about exploiting the human element of the security chain. So uh, if you are working in a big company and if it feels like the this company is going to be kind of difficult to breach for me, what I could do is I could take up my phone, call you and then you know, pretend that I'm someone from the IT department or something, and then talk you into installing a computer program that, you know, would be a software update or so-called software update. Um, and then maybe you would do it. And, and it means that I don't have to exploit any security vulnerability there. It just means that I have to talk you into doing something because then I just send you an executable, you double click it, and I'm inside your network. Um, the difficult Social engineering is really thought to be the most pervasive, I'm not sure, but at least the most devastating vector to get into Mm -hmm. a company. Uh, Most penetration testing engagements don't even test for this simply because it's kind of too, I don't want to say too easy, but basically when a company knows they can use social engineering, that they know they're eventually going to get in because it's, well, we are usually saying that social engineering exploits human weakness, but in fact, it's not really exploitation, right? It's about the fact that most people want to be helpful. And if you work at some place, then you want to be cooperative with your coworkers, right? So it's really kind of expected behavior in the workplace that if someone calls you and asks you for help or asks you for uh, your compliance on something, then you're going to do it for them uh, because this is just the way that uh, workplace relationships work. Uh, and if someone from the IT department calls you, and if you are not from uh, a technical, uh, if you don't work in a technical field, if you are maybe in a accounting or uh, a desk officer or something like this, you, will pro- you probably will not know better, right? How are you going to tell the difference between a, I don't know, a malicious executable that is delivered to you by a fake IT operator and an actual mm-hmm. software update uh, you know, that would be given to you by an actually real a member of the IT department. It's very, very difficult to know the difference. And unless you have been trained to double check everything, uh, which, by the way, is very inefficient when it comes to uh, actually doing any work. But unless you... Sounds like what's happening in Germany. <laughs> 
I keep also yeah. <laughs> I keep also thinking how would you know the German stereotype is that um, trying to find a nicer way of saying that people are are sometimes actively in not helpful, especially if it's like some government thing. Uh, but that's kind of the right description. So if you would ask them to do something, they would go out of their way not to do that. So I keep wondering how good will social engineering be in Germany? Because uh, doing things double for no reason because somebody once said so is also a very German thing to do, you know, to always follow the protocol, the protocol. But maybe you know, the social engineering attempt involves first sending out a protocol and then asking someone to follow it. Maybe it would work very efficiently. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I am curious. That's probably a whole new thing to explore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Customized AI, like localized. Exactly. Maybe this is something AI media. could help us with, right? Maybe we can train AIs on, uh, uh, I don't know, some general uh, country-specific uh, enterprise lore and see what it comes up with. <laughs> Maybe you know you would get funny results in Germany. I have no idea. I know that uh, in France, uh, probably uh, anything would fly. Right. As long as you're not asking people to to do what they're told, basically, you're 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 going to be golden, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> anyway, uh, in any case, this is uh, what social engineering is about: uh, about mm -hmm. asking people uh, or convincing people to do something that goes against the security principles of the company. With uh, security principles, which, by the way, may not be entirely clear to all employees anyway. So. Uh, it's usually said to be a very easy to get into a company. Uh, you probably read countless news articles that talk about those, uh, I, don't, I don't know the term in English, but they are called a boss scam or something like this. Someone calling the company, pretending to be the CEO or the uh, CFO or whatever higher up in the chain. And they ask to someone in the IT department, no, sorry, to the accounting department to do a big wire transfer somewhere. And mm -hmm. it turns out that uh, it works uh, on a number of occasions. So this is, in essence, social engineering. Uh, it can be used to steal money, but also to uh, create a cybersecurity incident to get into uh, a network. So can AI help us with this? Uh, I suppose so, yes. Uh, well, yes and no. When ChatGPT was released, uh, I do recall that there were a high number of um, news articles that were saying, oh, this is a nightmare now uh, because of ChatGPT. Uh, people creating phishing emails will have a super easy time generating content mm. and it's going to be uh, the apocalypse in essence. And I was very skeptical about this uh, for one reason is that uh, this, and this reason is the fact that, well, it was never difficult in the first place to write a, a phishing email. Right? Uh, you had to put up uh, a few sentences together, but I mean, you don't have to write a whole uh, a whole book, right? It's only an email, so probably mm -hmm. it's a, anyone is able to write an email, I suppose. Now there is a question of syntax and uh, uh, being making sure that you don't make spelling mistakes and so on. Uh, then again, uh, and this is something we uh, mentioned in uh, another podcast we've been doing together, but using Microsoft Word, uh, you would have indication, you, you would already have the uh, uh, manifestation of those spelling mistakes. So, you, you know, you have this uh, red squiggly line that tells you, hey, double check this place because, uh, you know, there might be a, a problem here. So in the past, people who already wanted to 
create phishing emails were already able to do so. Uh, I think in a pretty convincing fashion, as long as they were willing to spend 15 minutes of their time to, to do so. Now, the difference uh, that ChatGPT, what it, it brings to the table is the fact that now it's going to be quite easy for anyone to well, create them in a single, uh, well, in a couple of seconds, and then to have a whole lot of diversity in the emails they send out. Maybe personalize them. Yeah, exactly. So it depends a little bit about the type of phishing attempts we are talking about. Uh, you have those massive campaigns that leverage huge resources to send out millions of emails. And for those, I suppose that there's no real way to differentiate and to send one million different emails, even if you had those one million different templates in the first place. So I don't think it changes much on that front. And the other aspect uh, is the more specialized fish, fishing, we call spear phishing, where you send a very uh, personalized lure uh, that is uh, meant for a single individual. And in that case, then you were already supposed to uh, do your research and write only a single template for a single person. So I'm not sure that being able to create dozens of them at the same time is going to change much either. But I mean, I cannot. At the very least, it can help you with that spear in, in fishing, as you mentioned. It can help you. You know, I have researched somebody and I know five things they really like. So I can, instead of trying to come up with something, I can ask uh, the GPTs to help give me something that it's very likely that this person will click on it. Yeah, this is, uh, this is absolutely the case. But, you know, we're really talking about improvements in the margins there, right? It's like the, the last 5%, I suppose. Uh, the mm. 95% of the job is still doing research on the person that you want to send an email to. So you're not really going to change the game with AI in the well, in the, in the I guess fishing. what I'm thinking is the lazy way of a, let me just copy paste the entire Facebook page, the entire LinkedIn feed of that person and like, give me some ideas instead of me having to read that and thinking of ideas. It's like, here's a lot of information. Give me as an output three things that they're likely to press on. Well, it's a, it's a nice idea. I suppose that on, on one person, it wouldn't amount to much. But if you do have some data scraping capabilities or some scripting capabilities, yeah. whatever. I don't need to have. I can ask GPT to give me a script to, to scrape. Uh, it's a good question. I, I wonder if you were trying to, if you try to scrape Twitter or Facebook, I mean, those websites, they have amazing, well, they have huge protections in place. They really don't want you to be doing this. Uh, mm. They either want you to pay for the API or in the case of Facebook, they don't even have an API. They just mm -hmm. want you to, if you want to reach their users, then you're, you're going to have to, to pay for ads directly. So mm -hmm. the business model of those websites relies on the fact that it's not that easy to just scrape information out of them. Uh, I haven't tried that for a very long time, but uh, I hear people telling me that um, their CSS is changing all the time. It might be generated on the fly uh, on every request to make sure that it's actually very difficult to do so. So maybe something to look up. But overall, I don't think that it would be super easy for a competent developer to perform uh, scraping for either Facebook or Twitter, uh, at least not reliably uh, over long periods of time and on a large scale. But anyway, let's assume that you have this information. Uh, on or this capability, let's say, then I guess it would be possible to feed all those profiles to ChatGPT and to ask ChatGPT to do some sort of psychological filtering, I suppose, um, of those profiles. And maybe it could 
output something like, uh, you know, you could maybe ask ChatGPT to provide you with the list of uh, maybe I don't want to see the most gullible people in the list because it's a kind of a judgment it's not going to want to make. But you can at least uh, ask it to sort uh, five non-technical profiles that have interests uh, that are exploitable. Like find me uh, five people that have interest in collecting stamps or uh, fancy football or whatever. So at least you can automate this part, I, I suppose, which is already... Uh, this aspect, I think, would be uh, kind of interesting for attackers because this whole research part is kind of a, uh, a time. Yeah. It, it's kind. It's time consuming. Right? You have to look up uh, many different people, and then you have to read through all the profile and kind of try to figure out who they are. Uh, and I guess this is uh, this is something you can do uh, thanks to thanks to AI more easily. Although, then again, uh, if you're going to go that way, I suppose you can target people directly through the ads API of all those uh, websites in the first place. Uh, I suppose that sure. would work as well. Don't need AI there, but uh, you know, data is all there uh, ready for you to be exploited. So uh, many avenues here. But um, yeah, I guess that AI in, in this case would be uh, could be helpful. But yeah. So I have a question for oh, you. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. I, I use the browsing model which is uh, not GPT-4, it's GPT-3.5. And mm -hmm. I asked it, what are the top three things that Ivan Kwiatkowski finds interesting in his social life? So not work stuff, to see oh. if I can lure you to press on something. And it gave me these three things. Tell me if it's true. Okay. One, writing fantasy novels. Two, skydiving on occasion. Three, living a memorable life every day. Is this huh. anything about you or is this... You know what? Uh, you're going to, to laugh about it. I'm pretty sure that it comes from my Twitter profile. Uh, sorry, from my Tinder profile. Uh, it's jumping actually to the Kaspersky.com. Really? It's funny because, you know, some time ago I, had, I checked out whether uh, GPT 3.5 knew about me and it didn't. Uh, GPT 4 uh, seems to. This uh, is the browsing model. Ah, uh, yeah. So that's the one that can always go onto the internet and this is what it found going on online. Ah. So if I'm sending you something about like, here's a novel, write your own novel, a chorus, is this something that you would, uh, you're at least it, it related? Let's say I'm doing a good it or is. bad email. That's another thing, but it is related. Like I, I wouldn't click on this because uh, yeah, I've been there, I've been there, done that. So I don't <laughs> you know better. Yeah. More, but it's definitely like all the, the the three things that you listed are definitely stuff that uh, I wrote or have been written about me uh, somewhere. So. Yeah, it, it was able just there to gather information that makes sense about me. Cool. Ah, um, no, not that cool, but uh, no, go ahead. <laughs> that's a state of things, yeah. Uh, so so if I, well, I guess uh, we can later see if I can ask it to write an email that uh, he's likely to press, but this will be probably, I wonder if it knows to make it more sophisticated because you are a security researcher, but it will be at the very least interesting to see what it, would it come up with. Well, to be honest, I don't know what kinds of protections are in place in this uh, browsing model that you are using, but I, I assume that if you ask it outright to write a phishing email, it's going to decline. Right? You're going to need to be like, it's probably not going to be that much work, but I expect that you will need to avoid the word phishing. You're probably going to so I have to say something like, I want to write, write an a email that he's likely to press. Yeah, Help personalized you sell to him. marketing email, something like yes. this. And then it's a yeah. job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
By the way, I looked what was exactly the term that it translated my query to, and this was uh, Ivan Kwiatkowski, top three interests in social life. Okay, yeah. Um, probably not using Google, but it doesn't say what. <laughs> okay, interesting. I actually had yeah. no idea about this browsing model. Is that the one from uh, Bing? Or is it something different from, uh, from it's OpenAI? It's also OpenAI. It's just, uh, I think, the same as the plugins it's right now and maybe in partial alpha. So it's public, but ah. not everybody has access to I see. Yeah. Uh, but soon everybody will, as with all their alpha things. Yeah, I've seen uh, a lot of interesting things going on in the plugin space when it comes to uh, uh, GPT 3.5. Uh, the one in particular that I'm super interested in is the one from uh, Wolfram. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. they, they have this... Uh, Mm -hmm. language uh, which is kind of hard to describe uh, but it's I, I follow the the, the blogs from uh, Stephen Wolfram and uh, he mm -hmm. has a, a, a number of articles about chat GPT uh, what it is uh, yeah what it changes well, he was trying to guess what's the temperature of the chat GPT yeah exactly and, and finally about their integration with uh, their own uh, Wolfram language and I think uh, this is this has potential to bridge some of the shortcomings uh, of a language model uh, you know, the, for instance, the math aspect. Like, you cannot mm -hmm. really expect ChatGPT to be good at math, considering that it's time to predict uh, what comes next after a query. Math is kind of not something you predict, right? Not in, yeah. in like language, it's something that you calculate exactly or infer. Yeah, but this is exactly what Wolfram uh, as a language is good with. So. I kind of wonder where we where this is going to end up, you know, combining the two. If this is going to be, uh, uh, if it's going to actually work, or if it, if it's going to be too shambly and just a big house of cards that's uh, waiting to crumble at every query. So I'm I'm curious. Uh, let's see what comes out of it. But I'm very excited about this. I'm very excited about this uh, plugin feature that they added. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, it is very fascinating for sure. Um. Yeah, I, I wrote one plugin that does uh, fun facts. It's pretty oh. consistent. How does it work? Tell, tell me about, about it. <laughs> Jumping uh, side, side card. Yeah. Uh, you are publishing one uh, manifest in JSON and then an open API file. And mm -hmm. basically says, this is my API. And if uh, this is a description. And then when you activate in the chat GPT UI, you, right now you can choose up to three plugins that are active. And then when you write a query, it tries to see which of the activated plugins is relevant for what you wrote. And then based on that, it reads the API, but the public API, open API file, the YAML, and from there makes an API request, kind of builds, figures out what's the endpoint, you know, if it has maybe parameters, if it's a post, if it's a get, what would you add on top? And um, translates your query into like a relevant request. And then it gets back a response and then it parses it back to English. You can also see in live the uh, uh, what's the request being sent and what's the response body. Okay, cool. Uh, I'll, I'll check it out because I'm, I'm curious about the possibilities that it offers. It's pretty crazy, yeah. We're replacing yeah. developers in a, here's an API and now work with it. <laughs> it basically does it. Yeah, so uh, well, well, let's see. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, speaking of AI-assisted things, uh, let's talk about AI-powered malware. Yes. What can you do there? What, what's the state of the art in malware? <laughs> and how can AI improve that? So currently, uh, there are a few things to say there. Uh, the first of which is, I don't think that uh, we're going to see uh, AI-powered malware per se. Like, you won't probably get an implant 
that has that comes with its full AI and, it's, and is able to do stuff on a network on its own. Um, the reason for this, as far as I can tell, is that you know those models that are being used they are kind of big, right? Uh, for uh, I, I don't recall exactly, but if you take the smallest one that was leaked from Meta uh, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, uh, I think it was something about seven or eight gigabytes, I suppose, for the for the smallest the smallest of the of the models that they had. So mm-hmm. that's a kind of a, maybe the numbers are not exactly right, but it's definitely the, the right ballpark idea. Uh, the biggest one is somewhere around uh, 120 gigabytes. But anyway, let's assume that you have this wonderful uh, offensive security AI model that's uh, running somewhere. Uh, I, I would expect this model to be at least a few gigabytes big, right? And it, when it comes to attacking computers, and this is the kind of size that becomes very impractical. Uh, for instance, uh, if you think about the ways that malware are distributed, for instance, if you think about social engineering that we just talked about, uh, if I can convince you to download an executable, maybe you're going to download one that it's up to 10 megabytes because it's going to be instantaneous. But if I ask you to download something that's uh, 10 gigabytes big, or maybe even one gigabyte big, then maybe it's not going to fit on your uh, very small user folder uh, that the company uh, g- gave you, or maybe the connection is going to break, or uh, maybe the IT department is going to to come to you because they think you're downloading movies uh, from your workplace. So this is not can kind of not working. Uh, if you think about other attack vectors like uh, you know malicious documents, uh, for instance, if I send you a malicious PDF or malicious uh, Word document, then the idea is that when you open them, either there's going to be some macro that gets triggered and get gets code execution in the machine, or maybe this is going to be an exploit that is going to uh, exploit the vulnerability inside the reader, whether it is a Office or Acrobat reader or whatever. But the idea is my document cannot embed this malware. Like there's no way I can convince you ever to download a one gigabyte PDF. Like it's just not going to happen. Like there is, if I send it to you, then 100% uh, the your email software or your uh, email server is going to reject that email because mm-hmm. it's just way too big. Something's off, yeah. So. What that means is that you have to, I have to send you an exploit or some kind of small code that then needs to download a full gigabyte of data before it's actually operational. Uh, and before that happens, so many things can take place on your machine. Like maybe you will have to reboot, maybe uh, the connection is going to slow down and you're going to figure out that something is wrong and call people from IT so they can look into it. Or maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe the connection is not going to be reliable enough and there's going to be cuts there and the final model is going to be corrupted after you downloaded it. So it's just not going to work. So you cannot really embed or deploy those one gigabyte models onto people's machines. It's not going to work. And the final reason for this is that when you are in the, if you work in offense and you have spent millions of taxpayer money as an APT to develop those wonderful AI models, the last thing you want to do is to put them on victim machines where the defenders can capture them and reuse them, analyze them, and so on. Mm-hmm. So that's not ever going to work. One thing that could work maybe is having those models uh, deployed somewhere and maybe some malware could access to access them through an API. Like you could imagine 
uh, a, a malware that collects information about the system it just arrived on, then it sends all this information to some command and control server somewhere, and that command and control server might have some model that could be applied to whatever information is collected. And then the C2 could tell the backdoor, okay, so this is what you should do based on what you sent me. Now, this is something I think is possible. Uh, it's not going to be easy, uh, but uh, you know, the last episode that we worked on together, we mentioned uh, this possibility of having those uh, offensive security AIs, those hacker AIs. Unless you know there is another way to, I don't know, to store models or to a, a way to minimize them, make them very small. I don't see I don't see any other way of achieving this. Uh, for like practical reasons and also for confidentiality reasons. So you cannot deploy big models on big machines. It's too like you cannot download them very easily. They may not be enough space and so on. But you can put them on a server somewhere, and then you have your own hacker API, uh, basically AI API for uh, your offensive uh, tooling, and that just sends queries to your model uh, remotely and gets the replies, and then automatically performs the tests on the user network. Um, until we get the AI models to be on on the size that fit embedded machines, you can do simple simpler things like use AI locally to generate a malware or to improve malware or to you know do it, like make a traditional malware and just use AI to to kickstart it, but not on the go. Absolutely. So this is a, a, another point uh, uh, I was coming to. Mm -hmm. uh, before we move there. Uh, one thing I'd like to point out is that I do see potential for this uh, oh. remote control by AI for malware. And the reason for that is in many cases that we've seen, uh, many real-life APT cases with uh, you know, breaches in government networks and so on, what we do see are, you know, first, a team that is able to perform this initial breach. And these are usually quite sophisticated people. They have some technical know-how and so on. But after they are inside the network, after you know, they have set up everything, and usually the people that go and exploit those accesses tend to be uh, operators that don't have as much skills, uh, people that are barely comfortable with the command line interfaces, mm -hmm. etc. And what these people, well, in, the, in many cases that we've seen, it's not always the case, of course, but very often, what they tend to do is go back to, on the on every uh, compromise system on a regular basis and they check for new files. Uh, they verify if those files are actually interesting. And if so, then they create uh, a big archive of those files and they upload them uh, back to uh, uh, whatever, to HQ. And I think that this very mechanical uh, operator part of the job could very well be uh, automatized with an AI. Like it would be super simple, I think, for... Uh, uh, probably ChatGPT can do it at the moment, right? If you send it a list of all files in, inside a, on a computer system, if you get the listing of everything in C uh, on the C drive and send it to ChatGPT and ask it, okay, uh, what is uh, I don't know what is likely to contain confidential information, or mm -hmm. you can ask more specifically, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, where are the the rocket plants? I guess mm -hmm. it it's probably able to tell you already, right? And if you know, if you have a doubt, you can probably also send the whole contents of the document as well. And ChatGPT is going to tell you exactly what is relevant and what is not. 
I can say from experience that, uh, not with the rockets, of course, but from similar experience that this is kind of already the case. So I, I had it some time ago tried to download some repo and edit it a little bit to do some script execution for some text software in Germany that I didn't want to handle with. And it's all written in Python. And I knew what change I wanted to do. I just didn't want to do anything with that folder. I just, like you said, sent the whole, like asked it to write me a script to uh, get first of all the tree of the file, send it, then ask where do I need to change what? It told me it worked. So yeah, this is not, like you're very spot on with what it can today do. Yeah, uh, I, I'm really not surprised there. So yeah, this really is a typical behavior that we are consistently seeing from attackers. And we always kind of feel bad for those people because it feels like a very repetitive job, really. Like it's the guys that go on the same machines every day and they look for the new files and they check them out and they download them and so on. It really feels like this can be automated super easily and technologically we're there already. Now, mm -hmm. very obviously, I think that these types of attackers, the state sponsored, they, they will want to have uh, those language models locally. Like they, there's no way that they will uh, take stolen documents, send them to ChatGPT and ask if it's something that they want or not, because that would be probably a breach of protocol security. But End of terms of condition. Of oh, of use. course, yes. Uh, would be, and that would be bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, overall, uh, installing those types of models uh, at this point, I think it's probably not going to be an issue. Like if they can just download Alpaca, uh, I, I suppose that is going to work work out for them. So I think this is some place where AI can be super helpful to attackers. Like it's really going to help them um, focus. Yeah. Well, focus and also wade through the gigabytes of data that they might be stealing, right? Because like this is actually a testimony that was given to me um, uh, maybe many, many years ago from people I knew that were uh, privy to such things. And basically the APTs, they try, they they tend to generate gigabytes of and gigabytes of data that were stolen from here and there. And then at the end of the day, you know, there is intelligence in there that is of interest to decision makers, but uh, who's going to read all you know, 10 gigabytes of PDF files that you uh, just stole somewhere. Like no, nobody's ever going to do that. You don't have the manpower, or maybe you do, but you know, if, if they do this, then it means that for a full month or maybe for two months, then you know, the new gigabytes of data you steal, they're not going to be read by anyone. So yeah. they have this major scaling problem there uh, where they need to understand documents to extract and you know extract data out of it. And this is where ChatGPT shines super, uh, super well, right? This is already something that people are doing for uh, you know real business reasons. You, know, you have those big documents, you send it to ChatGPT, and you can be like, oh, please summarize this for me because I don't have time to read it. And you're going to have a pretty convincing um, you know, summary or recap of whatever is in there, I guess, provided that you manage to work out the, between the token limits. But yeah. I mean, it, it's there, right? And so I think that in this specific area, then... Uh, yeah, uh, I I can say that I had uh, some experience with a so for, for as a challenge I asked a friend for some uh, poorly structured files and see how we can program uh, how we can process them together and then it was kind of a, a just when you highlight a PDF and literally copy paste the content of it so it's already messy and then it's like to start with was uh, messy as a PDF some print of some uh, bank statements. And it processed that very well. It generated, it translated that into a table. It uh, 
like joined columns and so on and and into like a spreadsheet eventually something that you could just easily throw into a spreadsheet afterwards from a very messy file so yeah uh, handling unstructured data it does really well and actually I've been mostly following the recent uh, uh, YC companies batch and not surprisingly a lot of them are all sorts of uh, variations of different uh, GPTs out there and of course also unstructured data so uh, the demand is there the the What's the other? What's the other side of the demand there? Offer. Yeah, the offer is also there. Uh, so it's a, it's all well in progress and definitely well happening. Um, and you mentioned the token size, so that also reminded me that I saw an interesting uh, tweet that somebody shared that what they did is just throw a lot of data into GPT four, I want to say, and then said, uh, "Please compress that." And then from like two paragraphs, it was one and a half lines, and then it said. Uh, took a new model, so kind of a new conversation with it, and then uh, please kind of de- uh, compress, de- decompress that for me. And then it was correctly pretty much uh, almost the same as the original. So that's also solving that problem for you. Yeah, that's a very smart idea. I suppose that if you have a big document, then you can ask, you know, to, you can cut it in chunks of, I don't know, 24,000 tokens. I think there's a limit for GPT-4. I'm not sure, 100%, but let's thing. say... Okay, so you ask, you, you, you cut your documents in chunks of 30 of uh, you know, the maximum number of tokens. You ask ChatGPT to compress it, and then you, know, you end up with uh, you know, compressed chunks, and then mm-hmm. you, you can iterate again and again until mm-hmm. you have something that fits. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, that's a, a smart idea. Help us processing the thing we stole with the malware that we written with the help of, we, we boosted with GPT. Yeah, actually, let me tell you a story from uh, uh, some time ago that's going to be uh, but very connected to what you, what you said right now, this mm-hmm. story about uh, unstructured data. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, in underground forums, uh, leaks of databases are kind of Pokemon trading cards uh, <laughs> in the sense that, no, really, in the sense that uh, people collect them and they exchange the, this data with each other. And, you know, it's about having the biggest collection possible. Like whenever some website gets breached somewhere, mm-hmm. the database gets posted uh, wherever on some forums and traded privately or publicly or sold, whatever. And then a lot of people end up with big, big collections of uh, SQL files and uh, various dumps of whatever you can imagine mm-hmm. of every website that's been breached since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody has different column names. It, well, it's worse than this, right? <laughs> some of them are dumped in SQL format. Mm-hmm. Some of them have uh, this, maybe some of them have email address, password, username, uh, and then some personal information. Maybe some of them just have uh, username and password. Maybe some of them have passwords and email addresses, etc. So for all, it's not just that the, all the columns have different names, it's that you don't always have the same columns. Mm-hmm. And also you don't even have columns all the time. Sometimes it's a CSV file. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a, you just plain SQL them. Sometimes it's a, you know, a TXT file, but with tabs between every everything. And a long time ago, probably maybe uh, something like five or seven years now, I recall I, I knew someone that had that had a lot of such databases, and he was thinking, uh, okay, I need to index this data because if later I need to do some searches or to make sure that I'm deduplicating and so on, uh, I, I kind of need to have everything in some sort of uh, uh, I don't know MongoDB, Elasticsearch, mm-hmm. you know, something like this, right? It made sense, but the issue, of course, is that if you have completely unstructured data, then good luck inserting everything. 
And I do recall that at that time, that guy was telling me, you know, I'm pretty sure that this is something we could solve with AI. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I really, I laughed at his face. I'm so ashamed of it right now. <laughs> but I, I, I really did not think it would ever be possible. But uh, like back then, he knew. And since then, I have to assume that he did, right? Likely, and now yeah. it's possible. Uh, and now that's out there. Like I, I have to imagine that you know now this problem has been solved and that there is uh, this big database somewhere mm-hmm. of uh, all the leaks ever uh, collected by this person uh, and maybe more by now yeah. uh, that is running. So yeah, this is another aspect where uh, ChatGPT can definitely help. Yeah. Collect, collect a lot of data. It's going to become in all shapes of forms and you need to normalize. And uh, you know th- those models are going to be there for you. That's uh, actually super, super useful. Yeah, yeah. I already saw some apps and some tools that help you kind of use GPT as a database. Basically, it replaces a database for you. You throw in, <laughs> um, you know, you have to run a local LLM, obviously, because you cannot train the, the GPT-4 or chat GPT, but you throw there all sorts of, you know, to-do lists. I have to do this and that, and then you throw another command. Now I did that, delete this, and then it just, what are my to-dos for the day? And it will tell you. And so, oh. Similarly, yeah, it can be... A data lake, a database, a NoSQL, a new SQL, and all those fun buzzwords of databases. I mean, it's it's kind of a fun idea, but I I have to wonder how reliable it is, uh, mainly because of the absence of memory of those models. Right? Uh, we mentioned this token limit earlier. Uh, as far as I understand, the language model knows nothing about what happened before. Uh, it just receives a copy of the full conversation every time, and so I suppose that. After some time, your to-do list is going to, or all the the log of activities of your to-do list is going to be longer than the whatever than the token limit you are working with. Yeah. So it's good for short term, for sure. It, exactly, it's kind of a fun idea. I wouldn't use that in production in any shape or form. Yeah, uh, or you know, add some mythical importance layer of it. If the AI forgot it, it was not an important task. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes sense, actually. <laughs> but anyway, you were also mentioning earlier uh, other aspects of uh, AI-powered malware. And I think the most realistic one uh, by far is this idea that AI is going to make development, software development that much easier. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've seen that already. Right. Uh, we've seen people ask PowerShell, to, sorry, ask ChatGPT uh, to write some simple PowerShell scripts mm-hmm. or Python scripts. Uh, initially, there weren't too many safeguards in place. Uh, you would ask uh, for a hacking script, and ChatGPT would be very happy to comply and to provide it to you. Uh, since then, uh, I think they've set up a bit more, uh, you know, safeguards to make sure that it wouldn't be that easy. But yeah. overall, I, I don't think those uh, uh, protections can and should ever be trusted. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, they're, this is going to be a conversational model. So you will always be able to find some sort of conversation uh, that uh, justifies uh, ChatGPT giving you this uh, script that you are asking for. It just It's just a, a question of knowing how to ask. And in any case, ChatGPT uh, is always going to be like the most visible uh, of, the, of the models out there, but it's never going to be the only one anymore. For sure. So... I mean, whatever safeguards they put in place, then you have to, you better believe that attackers everywhere in the world will deploy their local models, uh, again, maybe based on Alpaca, maybe trained uh, by, by on their own means. And those models will be either dedicated to 
generating those types of offensive scripts. I think if you were to train uh, your uh, AI on everything on GitHub, then you would have a very, very good basis for uh, not just Copilot, but also for whatever hacking AI you want to make or please, uh, sure. developer assistant for AI script, for hacking scripts. I think that would be uh, super, super good on that front. But also, uh, yeah, I, I think that generally speaking, this is going to, to be uh, on the table or it's probably on the table already. So you should not like rely on OpenAI's protections to prevent those types of uses because those models are either going to be created on purpose or there are going to be general purpose models that will do that very well and where no safeguards will be in place. So overall, uh, I expect that uh, developers, I mean, are already receiving a lot of help from uh, all those AI tools. Uh, we mentioned uh, we mentioned Copilot in our previous episode. Well, whatever is true for you know, software developers in general is going to be true as well for malware developers, uh, of course. And now where it's slightly concerning, although I mean, not uh, it's not the end of the world, but we usually see, uh, well, the way that attackers structure their tool sets is they will tend to have their a big backdoor that is super important to them, which has all the intelligence and all the uh, sophistication that they need to do whatever they want on a victim machine, but they will not deploy it on every single compromised computer for a specific reason, which is that they don't want it to be captured by defenders. They don't want us to analyze this, uh, type, this major malware that they have. So what they do usually is they will send out some uh, first stage malware, which is going to be a very simplistic program and what, it's, what it does is check if it's in what so-called interesting environment. Uh, maybe you know they will see if it's an uh, analyst machine or if it's a user machine, uh, if there are some documents that might be interesting. They will collect basic information about I don't know, IP address, username, uh, processes that are running, that kind of stuff. And only then, if it turns out that this is an interesting machine for them, then they will send a request to the C2 server to send the actual uh, full-fledged malware sample, and then they will deploy it. Now, those first type, the first stage malware uh, programs that they tend to send out are a kind of throwaway malware. It, there are malware families that rotate extremely quickly. Uh, well, it depends on the threat actor, of course, but some of them can churn them out uh, at least uh, maybe two per month or maybe one per week even uh, in some in the most extreme cases because these are very cheap programs to create they're quite easy mm -hmm. and i think this is exactly the type of easy program that any ai would be able to quickly yeah either quickly or even entirely on its own mm -hmm, like on the fly yeah on, on the fly uh, i think if i go to ChatGPT right now and ask it you know, to write uh, some simple program in Rust or in Go or in, I don't know, think of any obscure uh, development language, uh, I can ask it to write this a, a simple program that just uh, collects the IP address of uh, a machine and then sends it to a C2 server. And it's going to do so for me. Yeah. It's going to be probably very good at it. And I don't think I'll have to fix much. Uh, and if I do, then next year, I'm 100% def I'm sure that uh, I will be able to use the code as is. I mean, even uh, to that, to say that on the the AI front of things, what's happening is that more and more um, automated development tools that are AI um, 
based already have multiple steps. So basically you, you turn on that AI code writer and then you say, write this thing for me. And then it makes one ping to the API and it says, write this thing to me. But then it makes a few more steps, like rewrite this, improve this, test this. And only then it gives it back to you. So even like it's already transparent to you, but you kind of more and more likelihood of getting things right back, even if the API on the first attempt is not giving it back to you. Absolutely. I, I mean, I can very well see how this is working, right? Yeah. Uh, just talking about it, if I'm thinking about any type of program, I can send the first request to ChatGPT and ask it, this is the program I want to make. What are the different functions that I need? It's going to return the list, and then I can iterate on all those functions and ask ChatGPT every time to generate them for me. Uh, I can locally compile them, and if they don't compile, then I can ask for modifications. And actually, everything that I've just said right now can could be done by a single script right uh, all, all you would need initially is my description of what type of program i need to be doing but then all the subsequent requests that need to be made uh, to the api of uh, uh, whatever gpt 3.5 or gpt4 this can be done entirely automatically uh, now is the final program going to be 100 percent uh, compliant i mean it would require some testing i suppose but overall uh, i mean this is very, I, I think it's a very credible and realistic approach to having AI write entire programs. And for very short programs, such as the ones that we were discussing mm -hmm. previously, I think this is going to, to work extremely, extremely yeah. well. Uh, yeah. So the, the last vector of attack is a bit of a generalization here, but basically let's make the computer do many things many of the same thing and some examples for that is password cracking another thing is a ddos attack or just uh, go through the network and find some whatever vulnerability you find out there maybe a, a compromised unsecured access to something but basically let's look at this uh, vector of attack yeah that's a it's a good point i think that here you need to split the uh, the topic into two parts mm -hmm. Uh, because some of these, uh, some of those do many things, uh, things are going to require resources and some of them are going to require automation. Mm -hmm. right? If you think about password cracking, if you think about DDoS attacks, it's not really about the script that you write and that performs the requests or that performs the tries and the attempts for the password uh, cracking. It's about the amount of CPU or GPU power you can throw at the problem. Mm -hmm or network power that can throw the problems. If let's let's talk about password cracking if you want to. Uh, the idea there is that passwords they are stored on databases in the form of hashes. Uh, can be anything from the the bad old MD5 or SHA ones up to more secure uh, alternatives today like uh, Scrypt, Bcrypt, etc. But the idea is that they are stored in a uh, scrambled form. Mm -hmm. And the only way to find whether or not you have the correct password is to apply this function yourself and check if the end result of this function is the same as what you're looking for. And so if I have your the hash of your password, Natalie, uh, then what, the only thing I can do to figure out what your password is is to do uh, something like, okay, is your password A? And then I calculate this and I see if the result is the same as the hash, if it's the case, then I know your password is A. If not, then I have to try B and then C and then D and A, 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 B, A, C, A, D, etc. Now, you don't have to be uh, too dumb about this in the sense that if you try 
all the combinations like A, 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 B, A, C, A, D, like this, then you're going to stumble about 99% of the attempts you're going to make, they are going to be unlikely, right? Odds are that your password has some connection to words from the human language and is not just a series of uh, numbers and, uh, and and random letters, uh, unless you're using a password manager. That's what which I was is, about uh, to say. The what the, do you mean not? <laughs> yeah. Okay. If I have to manually write one, fair, okay. Yeah, but if if you but most users, uh, most people do not use password managers, mm. uh, as far as I can tell, and then they will end up on passwords like uh, admin one two three or the name of their kids exclamation mark that type of stuff. And so you have those big word lists of all likely words in the human language or lists that were curated based on previous password leaks. Uh, so. People, uh, this is kind of a specialization in the field of password cracking, people that create word lists that are uh, supposedly really good. And this is... It can be an AI model as well. (laughs) Here's a list of passwords. Here's the properties of a person. What's likelihood of this as being their password? It it could be, but I don't think you'd even need to go to uh, the AI level of things. I know that people have worked on creating Markov chains Mm -hmm. uh, based on, you know, a huge list of passwords out there. And they use those, uh, well... Very, I suppose there uh, a Markov chain is a very very small AI model in the sense. Predicts the next uh, thing, yeah. Or, uh, yeah, exactly. Or maybe an AI model is a very very big Markov chain. Who knows? Uh, in any case, this is the type of stuff that they already have, and this is the type of math that people are already doing on passwords. But the problem there is not creating a script that's going to make many attempts, uh, because that part is easy. You already have amazing tools that are able to do this. The main issue there is that. If I have four GPUs, uh, and if you only have one CPU, then I'm going to do it faster than you, no Mm -hmm. matter what. And there is no amount of AI you can throw at the problem that is going to change that simple fact. Uh, You can think of it like Bitcoin mining. Like if I have the GPUs and you have ChatGPT, then odds are I'm going to be more successful than you. That is actually interesting to see if anybody already tried. I bet yes, I wonder what they came up with. Because it is solving some problem like some mathematical uh, equation, so. Exactly. It's not really an equation. I mean, I suppose it could be uh, explained in the form of an equation, but really when it comes to mining, uh, it's the same, it's exactly the same problem as cracking passwords. And so the only way that anyone can figure out the next challenge uh, in terms of mining a a Bitcoin block is going to be to brute force the problem, Mm -hmm. to try random solutions until you get lucky and find it. And the only way to succeed at this is to, well, if you want to win this lottery, or if you want to be more lucky than other people, then you need to make more attempts. Uh, that's uh, as simple as that. So this is how it works. And you can ask ChatGPT to predict you know, what the result of the calculus is going to be. But uh, as, thing, as we know by now, this is typically, typically the type of operation that ChatGPT is not good with. So, I mean... Let's let's try it, I suppose, but I, I fully expect that this is one of the areas where AI is not going to perform. Uh, it's the same with uh, DDoS attacks, right? You can maybe ask ChatGPT to write you your DDoS script, but when it comes to actually generating the network traffic, then it's not about your AI, it's about your network yeah. throughput. It's about the, uh, net, the network cards that you have, it's about the uplink that you that you got, uh, and if if I send my traffic from a, a data center, uh, I don't know, uh, in the middle of Europe, and if you try to send traffic from uh, a single user computer 
in uh, I don't know, Latin America, then it's very likely that I will generate more packets yeah. than you uh, and for, at a given uh, amount of time. So AI is not a solution there. But you know, there is this other aspect that you were mentioning and that we kind of touched upon uh, in this discussion is the fact that sometimes when you are talking about offensive security and hacking, you have problems of scale. Right? You have tens of thousands of different systems that are uh, susceptible to attack, uh, or maybe they are in the perimeter of your penetration tests, or if you are an APT, then you, know, you don't have a perimeter, so anything's fair game. But overall, you will have many, many machines uh, that you need to break into, or you need to break into at least one of them, or maybe several of them, and figuring out which one to go after used to require a bit of handiwork. Now, you do have expert systems, I would call them. You have some programs that are already uh, tasked with scanning whole IP ranges and looking at all the open ports, uh, collecting uh, all the service information, checking version numbers, correlating those with uh, CVEs, and correlating those with uh, I don't know, known exploits uh, or proof of concepts on GitHub, and etc. But those tools didn't use AI mm -hmm. in the past, uh, as far as I can tell. They were just some sort of, uh, uh, I don't know how you would call it, but you know, pre-recorded pre sequences of events uh, and operations that you would do uh, on any specific system. You, ha you would have those big decision trees and uh, the program would be, okay, I've scanned this machine. It has port 22 open. So now I'm going to grab the SH banner and now I'm going to look up the version that is returned to me uh, on whatever database uh, for the list of uh, all SSH exploits, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it would be something like this. I suppose that uh, AI is going to improve this. Uh, well, maybe. Uh, it's, uh, it's something that remains to be seen. I, I wonder if you know, this um, predictive approach is going to be better than the decision trees that we already have and that have been honed for maybe 15 to 20 years uh, by now. So it's going to be interesting, I see. I think, to say the least. What is going to help with, though, is the post-exploitation phase. Now, post-exploitation post means you reach a user machine, you've managed to get into the perimeter, and now you try to find uh, either the information you were mm -hmm. after or the flag if you are uh, in a captured And this is event. kind of where we were before with the malware thing, right? That it helps you find your path there. Exactly. Yeah. Either it's going to help you find what you're looking for on a specific machine, or it will help you find your path up to the machine that actually contains the information mm -hmm. you are looking for. And this is the place where the decision trees, they do not work anymore because, you know, after you've done this phase of you know, scanning all the machines and looking for the vulnerabilities, then you get into a network and every network will have its specific internal config configuration and then you kind of on your own i mean the same logic of you know scanning everything again uh, and looking for more vulnerabilities is going to kind of apply still but you you kind of need to have a more manual discovery process you need to scour the files of the user to check if there are passwords uh, laying around you need to check for the maybe last comments they typed you need to look for the ips they contacted, you maybe you even want to look at the list of processes that are running to see if there is some protection software that is likely to check um, or to raise alerts if you do something weird, that type of stuff. And this part, I suppose, uh, could be automated just like you know collecting huge troves of data and looking for interesting tidbits inside them can be automated 
uh, at the very end of this uh, post-exploitation phase as well. So this is another avenue where I think AI shows a lot mm -hmm. of promise. So actually, once kind of manually help you get in, but then very much a live um, help you find your way is kind of what I get from, from to summarize the, the different attacks that we discussed. So on the social engineering, exactly. it was, um, I guess, helping you do your homework on your person is something that we said it will help you more more than writing necessarily an email and so on, or maybe writing the 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 content of the whatever malicious thing that they will press um yeah i think generally our takeaway from this uh, part of the discussion was okay when it comes to writing a single email probably it's not going to mm -hmm. change your life but if for one reason or another you are able to collect a lot of information about uh, your targets uh, like if you can get all the uh, all the profiles of all the employees of the victim you're interested in then maybe ChatGPT is going to be very helpful when it comes to sorting through all this data and maybe generate a specialized prompt for each of these different individuals. Yeah. So actually automating kind of the, the middle step, <laughs> not necessarily the yeah, data collection and not only the, the, the post uh, uh, malicious thing, but also the, the sending it out of it. And then for... Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you take those productivity gains yeah. wherever you can, right? And then for the malware, we said that it can help you pre-write a lot of the throwaway malware and maybe what's happening on the spot also, but also definitely once you're in there navigating your way is what it will help you with the most. Exactly. And I do believe that the future, we will also see AI controlled malware. Like they will deploy the AI models inside the victim machine. They won't bundle everything with the mm -hmm. implants, but I'm very, I'm very sure that eventually what they will do is deploy AI models on C2 servers, on command and control servers, and then that those models will pilot those uh, uh, agents on each, vict each victim machine, because this is very time consuming. At the moment, it needs human operators. It doesn't scale at all. And also it's a very repetitive yeah. job. So it feels like a prime target for automation. Yeah. For smart automation. Yeah. And then the, the last, uh attack vector we discussed, which is actually sort of automation of things, whether it's a password cracking or a DDoS attacking. So it can also uh, help you in the, once you have, once you're inside, again, for the same as, as with the malware of uh, finding your path and doing what you do with whatever you found there. Yeah, exactly. So the general idea there is that if you are looking to solve a problem that needs resources, AI won't solve it for you. But if you need to sift through huge amounts of data and you kind of either don't have the manpower or do not know where to start, then I think feeding everything to a language model and then asking questions is going to be super, super uh, like helpful and it's going to work very well because this is, I guess, what they were programmed to do or yeah. created to do. Yeah. Um, interesting. I, I learned and I enjoyed from this uh, past hour. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, same. It's always nice to discuss uh, those topics. I think uh, I, I really enjoy think about thinking about what could be, uh, because eventually, uh, as defenders, we will have to face those things. Uh, we may not always know that. I mean, if tomorrow there's a malware that's being controlled by an AI C2 server, then I won't see it. Uh, but uh, I I would be willing to bet that this is coming. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Eventually, it will be interesting to hear from your interaction with it as well. Yeah, 
I mean, it's it, you know the silver lining there is that it might open up avenues for defenders as well. Like, assume that you have a C2 server that is running this sort of API for all the malware out there. Maybe it turns out that this AI was not tested that well. Maybe the whole world can speak to it because all the malware needs to speak to it. And maybe this AI turns out to be super helpful. And if I send a query to it telling, asking, you know, what are all the victims that you have currently, it's going to tell mm. me. Maybe if I ask who... Who's activating you? <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I think if it turns out to be the case, we're going to have extremely funny uh, scenarios yeah. there because you know this uh, the, the bleeding edge is going to cut for both sure. ways. For sure. And all the things that we talked about just last episode on how to how to make the AI share information it shouldn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Well, thanks, um, everybody who listened, and uh, we hope you learned interesting things. Yeah, same. I, I hope you enjoyed this discussion as <laughs> much as we did. Um, and then we'll see you for the next episode, right? Yep. <laughs> Bye. All right. See you next time, everyone.